O come, O come, Emmanuel. Got to admit, that's my favorite of the Christmas songs. But sometimes I wonder if I even am realizing what I'm saying when I sing the words to that song. Like many of the songs we sing this time of year. I grew up in the church. I've sung songs like this year after year after year. I have great memories about songs like these. It has sentimental value to me. It brings back memories of our family gathering around the piano on a night like this with my mom playing and us singing Christmas carols. It brings back memories of Christmas Eve services, just like the one we are in this afternoon. But as I thought about what I wanted to share with you today, I want us to consider just how revolutionary the words to that song we sang actually are. I want us to consider what it really means for us to say, Emmanuel. You see, Christmas isn't just a story, some sentimental story of a baby in a manger, as much as our culture has made it that today. It's actually the most radical story in history. And in my opinion, one of the most radical words ever spoken by human beings is this word, Emmanuel. It was actually spoken nearly 700 years before the birth of Jesus by a prophet of Israel by the name of Isaiah. You see, Israel had been going through a really difficult time, and they were in need of a word of hope from the Lord. And so Isaiah comes on the scene, and in Isaiah 7.14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, a sign of hope. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Some 700 years later, Matthew sums up his entire account of Jesus' birth story this way in Matthew, verses 1, 22, and 23. All this, the birth of Jesus, the reason we're here tonight, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That sign that was promised nearly 700 years earlier, we're being told is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel has come. Now just to understand, Emmanuel is not another name for Jesus, just like Christ isn't his last name. It's a title. Christ means Messiah. Emmanuel is a title that he has been given. And I want to spend our time this afternoon unpacking this word because, in my opinion, more than any other word, this is what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel, as you already have heard, as Pastor Brian shared with the kids, is translated into English in three words. It means God with us. And what I'd love to do is talk to you about each of those three words individually and just how radical this is. So first, he is God with us. He is God with us. When it comes to Jesus, many people have no idea who he really is because if they did, it would change everything in their lives. It would create a crisis in their life. So many people today view Jesus simply as a great teacher Or maybe he was a a moral person, or he was perhaps even a prophet. And while he is those things, we're told here he's so much more. We're told here he is actually God with us. Every other religion differs from Christianity here, right? Every other religion was founded by someone, whether a teacher or a prophet or a sage, who comes on the scene and tells you, here's how you can find God. Christianity says None other than God himself came in the flesh and says, I'm here. Here's how you find me. You see, the claim of Christmas is that Jesus is God with us. If you think that's the only time this is mentioned, you can see this claim all throughout the New Testament. There's just no way to talk about Jesus and not come face to face with this incredible claim. People say today, I hear it all the time, where does it say that Jesus is God? I mean, did he actually say that he really believed he was God? Well, we have the very first instance here, right? Emmanuel, literally, 
God with us. But there's other specific examples. For example, John opens his gospel with these famous words, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, of course, is Jesus, another title for him. Or how about this example in Acts 20, verse 28? Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then look at this. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Who bought the church with his blood? God did. And there's no distinction there between Jesus pouring out his blood and God. Or how about this one? Most famously, John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Now, besides these specific examples, there's other ways we can see that Jesus was God in the New Testament. For example, we know that he had no qualms about forgiving people's sins. If you were a Jewish person living in that day, you knew exactly what that meant. He was taking and assuming the authority that he was God. So he could say to the paralytic man, not only be healed, but your sins are forgiven. How could he say that? Because he's assuming He has the authority of God. And I got to just tell you, no moral teacher, no prophet would ever make that kind of assumption. Only God would make a statement like that. Another example is, if you read the parts of the Bible, when an angel shows up on the scene, we're in the Christmas story right now. We see all kinds of times when angels come. What does a person usually do when an angel shows up? We saw it with Mary. What do they do? They hit the deck. Right? They hit the deck in fear, and they begin to worship that angel. But what is the angel's response to people when they begin to worship them? Get up. You don't know what you're doing. I am a created creature just like you. You can't worship me. But when Mary or Thomas get down on their knees and begin to worship Jesus, what does he do? He receives it. He accepts it. Why? Because he's not a created being. He has no beginning. He has no end. And so our worship of him is right. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, says it the best I've ever heard it when he said, you can only make one of three conclusions about Jesus. You don't have any other option. He was either a liar, like he came on the scene and started telling people that he was actually God when in fact he knew he really wasn't, or he was a lunatic. He actually believed something that was ridiculous in nature, or he was who he really said he was. And every person must decide one of those three things. This is why all throughout the Gospels, you see people going around saying, who is this? Who is this man? This guy can't be some great teacher, because no teacher would claim this. He can't even be a prophet, because it would be blasphemy. Therefore, he is either who he says he is. He's either God, or he's a liar, and we need to condemn him, or he's just plain crazy. And friends, you realize it was ultimately this claim that he was God that got Jesus killed. Many people did not believe that Jesus was telling the truth. They believed that he was a liar, and so they put him to the cross. In fact, remember those words in John 10, verse 30? He said, I and the Father are one. Look at the very next verses. It says, again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They are ready to kill him, because they know exactly what he's claiming. He's claiming to be God. Now, I got to tell you, these are good Jewish people. If you know anything about the Jewish religion, they're monotheists, right? As opposed to polytheists who believe in many gods, Jewish people believe in one God. So they'd be the last person on earth who would ever believe that a human being could be God. And so we see here, many people rejected him. He has to be lying. 
And so they condemned him to death. And yet what is amazing is that many of these very same Jewish people believed. And like Thomas, they would declare to him, my Lord and my God. And for many of them, they gave up their lives for him. Friends, it's impossible for someone to say, as many people do in our country today, especially around Christmas time, you hear this all the time, right? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. What are you saying when you say that? Because if you really believe the claim of Jesus, it would completely alter the course of your life forever. You see, you either have to accept his claim that he is God, or you reject that claim. And if he is God, he deserves your total devotion and worship. So, what have you decided about him? Second, Emmanuel means he is God with us. That's one of the greatest words in English, isn't it? The word with, I'm with you. I want to do this with you. I couldn't have done it without you. Why is the word with such a great word? Because it implies relationship. With is a relationship word. And here's the second great truth about Christmas. Emmanuel is God with us. He's with us. Jesus is not some God who sits aloof up on his throne in heaven, unaware of the needs of his people, hoping we can just kind of sort it out on our own one day. He has come in person to share in our situation. When I was playing Little League Baseball, our coach brought a friend along at one of our practices one time, and he began uh, playing with us. I played a game called Pepper uh, with him. I felt bad for him because nobody wanted to warm up with him, so I played Pepper with him. If you know baseball, you know what that is. Uh, we started playing catch together. He threw the team batting practice. He was doing fielding drills with us, and we were all thinking this is a little bit strange that an adult man would want to come to a Little League Baseball practice. But we kind of were like, whatever the coach says. After the practice, the coach gathered us around and he said, do you know who this is? None of us knew who it was, and he said, this is Moises Alou. Any of you Cub fans familiar with that name? He's a major league baseball player. And at that point, we were like all amazed, right, that a major league baseball player would stoop down and play baseball with a bunch of teenagers. But friends, that is not nearly as amazing as what we celebrate here tonight, the claim of Christmas, that God himself stooped down and put on human flesh, became 100% human simply so that he could be with us. If God is the claim of Christmas, in my opinion, with is the wonder of Christmas. The king of the universe, the alpha and the omega, entering into our history in a little bundle, wrapped in obscurity and poverty in a podunk town called Bethlehem. And again, I hope you don't lose sight this year of how radical this story is. You do realize that up until the time Jesus showed up to be in the presence of God, to be with God, was a totally terrifying experience. For example, when Moses asked to see the presence of God, to see the face of God, to actually meet God personally, do you remember what God said to him? He says, you can't see my face, for no one may see me and live. But now the wonder of Christmas is that God has come to be with us face to face. Moses, if he were here right now, would be jumping up and down on this stage saying to all of us, do you realize what this means? Do you realize how incredible this is? This is the very thing that I was denied my whole life, that through Jesus, you can know God intimately and personally. You can know him without fear. He can come into your life. Do you realize what's going on here? Why you're gathering at 3 p.m. on December 24th? Where's your joy? Where's your amazement? Why isn't this the driving force of your life? God is with you. 
And as God with us, that means we can bring all our burdens to him and know that he understands what it is to be human. As the God who entered into your situation and my situation, he knows what it is to live in this broken world. Friends, isn't it true when somebody has gone through what you've gone through, it's a lot easier for you to pour out your heart to them? It's the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is when somebody says to you, I'm really sorry that you have to go through that, but you know they've never experienced something like that. It's meaningful, but not quite as meaningful as when somebody who's gone through something similar to you comes alongside of you and says, I understand what you're going through. And I want you to know I'm here with you. And the wonder of Christmas is God isn't on his throne just sympathetic to your pain and to your suffering and to your sorrow. Like, oh, I'm so sorry you human beings have to go through all that. I feel really bad for you. No, he actually came down, plunged himself into it, and experienced the worst of it. He is a God who can empathize with our pain and suffering. As much as I like the song Away in a Manger, which we sang earlier, I just don't know about that one line, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Because I think that's turning Jesus into something that probably wasn't true. He probably cried a lot as a baby. We make Jesus into this person who never felt pain or sorrow or anger or frustration or temptation. No, 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 no. Read the Gospels. He was with us in every way. He felt sorrow. He felt pain. He faced temptation. He experienced anger. He became completely human. Listen, when he didn't eat, guess what happened to him? He got hungry. When he cut, he bled. When his friend died, he wept. He was with us in every way imaginable. That's why I'm excited starting January 3rd as a church. We're going to be looking at the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see he was God with us. Do you know the God who is with you tonight? Do you know him that way, this personal way he wants to know you? Third and lastly, he is God with us. If God is the claim of Christmas and with is the wonder of Christmas, then us is the invitation of Christmas. By its very nature, that word us is a limited term, isn't it? It isn't the word all. It's the word us. It implies a certain group of people. So my question for you is, who is the us? Who has God come to be with? Is it some exclusive, super moral group of people who somehow have earned Jesus' love? That's what religion says, right? That's what the Pharisees believed. They taught people, if you want to be a part of the us, you got to be a good person. And on your good stuff, better outweigh your bad stuff because it's the good stuff that's going to earn your way to God. The best way I've ever seen this illustrated, and I've shared something similar to this before, is by this picture, I hope, up on the screen here. This is the picture of all religion, even forms of Christianity. The idea is God is up on the mountaintop, and somehow through our good works, whatever that is, through enlightenment or whatever words you want to use, somehow through good, doing a good enough works, we're going to somehow reach our way up to God, right? Can I just tell you something? Have, have you ever tried this? I have. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. And every time I tried it, I realized I just kept coming up short and short and short because I could never quite be good enough to reach at the top of the mountain. Something always stood in my way. And that something was sin. You see, I realized no matter how good I was, God's standard for me was perfection, and that is something I could never attain. And yet, here's the good news of Christmas, as we already saw. God's not afraid of your brokenness. 
nor is he afraid of your sin. He's not going to even let that sin problem in your life get in the way of his invitation to a personal relationship with him. He's not going to strand you on the mountain of religion. Praise his name. And unlike other religions, even forms of Christianity, listen, you don't even have to clean your act up first. I used to think, well, at least i get up, got to get halfway up the mountain, right? I mean, he'll meet me halfway, maybe. If I can even get a little farther than half, that would be great. No, that doesn't work. What I need is for somebody to come and rescue me. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to do what we could not do on our own. We call that the gospel. Have you heard that term? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, and it looks something like this. It looks something like Jesus, this one we call Emmanuel, coming off the mountaintop, coming down into our situation and saying, get on my back, and I'll carry you the way up. Get on that back that bled for you on the cross, and I will make God's way open to you. Friends, this is called grace. And it's what Christmas is all about. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 describes it this way. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Other religions say, here's how you live. Here's how you clean yourself up in order to come to God. Here's how you please God. Here's how you connect to God. Christianity says you come to God solely as a gift of grace. Period. End of story. And to receive that gift, all you need to do, and it's what makes this story so amazing, is admit to him that all your efforts aren't enough. It only gets you halfway up the mountain. That you have a sin problem and that only he can fix it. And if you acknowledge that, and if you welcome into him into your life as God with you, your life will be changed forever. You see, the reason Jesus became God with us, and if you hear nothing else tonight, I hope you hear this, is so that you could be with him. That's what Christmas is at its heart. God with us so that you can be with God. The question I have for you this Christmas is, will you receive the gift of grace he offers you? It's the greatest gift that could ever be given. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are humble people, humble by the fact that you would humble yourself and be obedient to take on flesh, to come down. Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we are in a very busy season right now. There's all kinds of things we've got going on, but we want to remember what this is really all about. This is about the greatest gift that's ever been given. It is the gift of grace that came in human form in the person of Jesus. And I want to pray for anybody in this room who has never heard the gospel before, that they have been trying to climb the mountain on their own and they've been frustrated and exhausted. Lord, help them to see the gift that you offer to all of us, that you are God and you are the one that could fix our problem. And you did it by becoming with us. You took on our brokenness. You took on our sin. You paid for, for us on a cross, and you rose again so that we could have victory. And Lord, I believe that there may be some here who have never heard that, and they want to receive that. So I pray that they could do that. Receive the gift you give each of us.
And for those of us who have, remind us again just how amazing it is what we celebrate this time of year, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. The people had read of this rescue that was coming through the bloodline of Abraham. They had seen where Micah proclaimed about a ruler to be born in Bethlehem. Daniel prophesied about the restoration of Jerusalem. Isaiah's cry about the Son of God coming to them. So for them, it was anticipation. This groaning was growing generation after generation, knowing he was holy, no matter what the situation. But they longed for him. They yearned for him. They waited for him on the edge of their seat, on the edge of where excitement and containment meet. They waited. Like a child watches out the window for their father to return from work, they waited. Like a groom stares at the double doors at the back of the church, they waited. And in their waiting, they had hope. Hope that was fully pledged to a God they had not seen, to a God who had promised a king, a king who would reign over the enemy, over Satan's tyranny. They waited. And so it was centuries of expectations with various combinations of differing schools of thought, some expecting a political king who would rise to the throne through the wars he had fought, while others expecting a priest who would restore peace to the penetration of the Pharisees' facade. <laughs> Yet, a baby, 100% human, 100% God. So the word became flesh and was here to dwell among us. In his fullness, grace upon grace, Jesus. Through him and for him, all things were created. And in him, all things are sustained. God made himself known for the glory of his name. And this child would one day rise as king, but it would not be by the sword or an insurgent regime. It would be by his life. A life that would revolutionize everything the world knew. He would endure temptation and persecution, all while staying true. Humbly healing the broken, the sick, and hurting too ministering reconciliation, turning the old to new. A life that would be the very definition of what life really costs, saying, if you desire a life, then your current one must be lost. And he would portray that with his own life as his father would pour out and exhaust, and Jesus would be obedient to the point of death. Even death upon the cross. So just 33 years after the day that he laid swaddled in the hay, he hung on a tree, suffocating, dying in our place, absorbing wrath that was rightfully ours, but we could never bear the weight. So he took that punishment and he put it in the grave and he died. And when I say that he died, what I mean is that he died. No breath 
no heartbeat, no sign of life. You see, God is a God of justice and the penalty for our sin equals death. That's what Christ did on that cross. Then, three days later, in accordance with scriptures, he was raised from the grave. And when I say that he was raised, what I mean is that he was raised. Lungs breathing, heart pumping, blood pulsing through his veins. The things that he had promised were true. He is the risen son of God, offering life to me and to you, turning our mourning into dancing, our weeping into laughing, our sadness into joy. By his mercy, we are called his own. By his grace, we will never be left alone. By his love, he is preparing our home. And by his blood, we can sing before his throne. Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. So now we, as his bride, are the ones waiting. Like the saints that came before, we are anticipating. He has shown us that this world is fading and he has caused our desire to be for him. So church, stay ready. Keep your heart focused and your eyes steady. Worship him freely, never forgetting his great love for you. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the gospel of grace, and it's a gift that's made available to all.